you'll turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. We're going to talk about something really important this morning, and that is our promises. And I think that as believers, it is love that sets us apart. They will know that you are Christians by your love, Scripture tells us. But I think uh, without honor or without truthfulness, um, we're really, uh, really a people who don't appear to be Christ followers at all. Uh, It's very easy in our world today. Um, It really doesn't matter the election or the party. Uh, Politically speaking, uh, a lot of people will make promises to get your vote. But do they keep those promises? And we see that that's played out on the biggest stage of all. The leaders that we elect to represent us uh, are promise breakers most of the time. And so it's trickled down into our society over years and years, and people kind of see this as being commonplace, that you don't really have to keep your word. Um, I used to, uh, I even remember in my own lifetime, uh, knowing in smaller towns where you could go into a bank and uh, could get a loan. You could talk to somebody, and if you needed money and they knew you, they knew who you were, your family, or what you owned, um, a handshake was a good agreement. But that's far, far from the place where we are today. We have a lot of promises and a lot of, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of problems in our world today, but one of those that has become a serious issue is the neglect of keeping our promises and our system of honesty. In fact, James 5.12, which you don't have to turn there, I've got it up on the screen, uh, it says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear. That's a big statement, by the way, above all, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by, or by any other oath, oath. <laughs> but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You know, it was years ago when I, this verse clicked. Sometimes scriptures, we read them and read them and read them and we know what they say, but sometimes they just click. And you don't need to add anything else to your yes if you're a truthful, honest person of integrity. You don't need to say, yes, I promise you. Yes, I swear. Or, yes, you can take take me at my word. You you shouldn't have to add anything to it or or add a swear word with it to make it uh, something that's more powerful. If I hear Philip Harrington, for instance, say, yes, I'll do that, I, I know that it's done. You know, most of you guys, uh, if, if not all of y'all here, if you say yes, it's going to happen. Or if you say no, I'm not going to do that, then I can count on, hey, that's not going to happen. You know, I mean, we, we know that. We trust each other that way. But that should really be the mark of a believer. It's distinctive amongst us as Christians that we're promise keepers. And those covenants or contracts or oaths or whatever you want to call them, vows, Uh, should be binding based on our word and our character. Who are you before the Lord? Who are you before people? That should be the same person, by the way. But promises and promise-keeping still matter. They still matter to God. They should matter to us. Don't they matter to you when you're on the receiving end of them and somebody says, I promise. I promise I'll fix your car. I promise I'll mow your yard. I promise I'll repair your roof. Whatever it is, you expect that promise to be kept. 
And if you're not, if it's not kept, then you are deceived and you're angry and you're hurt by that. And so, in like terms, if we give that pledge, we should keep that pledge every time. And so, <clears throat> we see this idea of covenants and promises and vows all throughout Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, and where we're going to be today in Joshua chapter 9, we see it taking place as well. And God took these oaths seriously. When he made a covenant or a promise with his people, he would do anything, including giving his own son, Jesus Christ, to make sure that it was paid in full. And his promises, if we didn't keep them oftentimes, had life and death consequences. But we live in a world today, as we know all too well, that plays loosely with the truth, that acts unfaithfully, that's dishonest or deceptive in so many ways. And we see this, too, in Joshua 9. It's nothing new to our world today, this issue of promises coming into play. And if you'll read with me, we're going to start at verse 3 in Joshua chapter 9. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. Now just stop there for a second. I want to say something. The inhabitants of Gibeon. Um, so let's take uh, Lowell, for instance. If somebody said the inhabitants of Lowell, we would know that uh, whatever we call ourselves, Lowellites, Lowellians, I don't know what, what we are. Uh, but there are all kinds of people groups and cultures represented in that term inhabitants of Lowell, okay? So I want you to know that uh, throughout your Bible, it may call them Gibeonites every time. I don't know. It may call them Hevites or Hevites if you look at the word there that's coming up. But I want you to know Hevites were one group of people that were inhabitants of Gibeon. So I don't want you to get confused as we go forward because sometimes they'll use that term interchangeably. So these people from Gibeon heard what the Israelites had done at Jericho and what they'd done at Ai. I mean, complete massacres and wipeouts there. And so the people of Gibeon acted deceptively, and they went and they acted as ambassadors, carrying on their donkeys these worn-out sacks and these old wineskins that were cracked and torn. They poured, put, out, put worn-out patched sandals on their feet, threadbare clothing, Whole, their whole supply of bread was dry and moldy, and they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. So the Israelites were camped there at Gilgal right now. Their next conquest involved Gibeon. And just so you know, Gibeon was about eight miles away from Jerusalem. So these people weren't from a far-off land. This was just a gigantic ruse to, to protect their own skin. And the, the Gibeonites went to Joshua while they're at Gilgal, and they said, We have come from a distant country, a distant land. Please make a covenant with us. <clears throat> make peace with us. And, boy, what a, what a good ruse. You know, if, if we were handing out Academy Awards, um, the Gibeonites should get some, man, at least get one, because what they did in this moment was so clever and so well thought out. Uh, they wanted to protect themselves. They didn't want to be steamrolled. They didn't want to be the next victim of Israel. And so they came up with this idea to trick Israel into a peace alliance. And it's really clever, even though it's super deceptive. 
And we, we see what's happening here uh, because the Gibeonites were terrified. I mean, rightfully so. They had no chance at defeating Israel. And I, I think they utilized that old adage, if you can't beat them, join them. And so they were trying to get in with the camp of Israel to become allies under their protection. And uh, the, really and truly, the, the, the links that they went to, they took the rattiest clothes that they had. They took the rattiest shoes. They patched their wineskins up. They took the old junk wineskins that they had. And they even held out these hunks of dry, moldy bread. They wanted to enter into a covenantal promise with Israel because they knew, the Gibeonites even knew, that Israel was God's people. And they knew that if God was protecting them, that they'd be safe too, as long as they were in the camp of Israel. Here's what happens in verse 7. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell near us. It's good to be skeptical sometimes, especially in war. How can we make a treaty with you? They said, the Gibeonites said, we are your servants. And Joshua asked, who are you and where have you come from? That's a legitimate question. They said, your servants, listen to the implicity here. They're, they're bowing down and they're so gracious and, and they're saying sugary sweet words. Your servants have come from a very far country because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard the fame and the reports of him, of all that he did in Egypt and all he did to the two kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our land told us, take provisions for your journey, go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now then, please make a covenant with us. And so there was a lot of flattery involved in this, as well as the, the pathetic look. I mean, you, 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 <laughs> you're really rolling out the red carpet here. We're pitiful looking. We're coming out up to you basically on our knees with our hands out. Uh, we're poor, uh, and we're flattering you with all the right words and the nice things that we're saying. And they're just saying it to save their own hides. And guys, you know this, but if you don't, uh, <laughs> you should know it today. When people say all the right things, when people offer you deals that seem too good to be true, they probably are, right? And you know the old adage, there's nothing in this world free. Uh, uh, well, if you're a veteran, you could get a free donut at Dunkin' Donuts the other day, okay? But uh, that, that might have been the freest thing you got. Or maybe a, 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 an appetizer at Texas Roadhouse or something like that. But I'm telling you guys, in our world today... There are a lot of con artists, and we know that. And we know that the reason why people deceive other people and, and lie and, and trick and scheme and plot and do all these uh, deceptive, divisive things is because the lost world's hearts are filled with sin. They are unredeemed. They don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But far be it from us, who are children of the living God, to act just like the world does. We are redeemed from the old way of life, forgiven of those sins, forgiven of our sinful nature, and we are born again, brought from the kingdom of darkness into the glorious kingdom of light. Those things shouldn't play into our minds, even if they are for self-preservation or self-gain. We don't lie to get what we want. We trust God instead to take care of us. Lying is putting it into your own hands to get what you want or what you think you need. But we trust the Lord. And so we, we know that we're different from the world here. But here's the thing, guys. There's a major problem with entering into a covenant 
with the Gibeonites. And it happened back in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16 to 18. And this is pretty important. This is a key domino verse that goes along with the passage in Joshua. God had originally instructed his people. Now, you're not going to know that he instructed you to do anything if you don't know his word. If you haven't read it, if you haven't listened to God, if you haven't spent time with God, you're not going to know his instructions, and therefore, you're going to be foolish. But in that verse, God had said, in the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. In other words, in the promised land where you are today. You must not leave anything or anyone alive. Devote them to complete destruction. And he gives this list of uh, the different people that are there. A lot of ites. And you see the Hivites on that list. He said, do this as the Lord your God has commanded you. And so, so, this, this, this word here is so, so important. Why would God tell them to kill all of these people as they're going in to possess the land? So that they cannot teach you to do all the detestable things they do for their gods. And so cause you to sin against the Lord your God. God desired holiness for his people. And he knows that when you mix holiness with sinfulness, many times the sinfulness can have a great effect on it. It's, it's what we teach our kids. It's what we practice, hopefully, as Christians today in our world, is that your company, the company that you keep, will oftentimes determine the character that you have. And so we... we <laughs> Even in five- and four-year-olds with our kids, we look at it and we say, where did you hear that? <laughs> where did you learn that? And we know, hey, it's because we're sending our kids um, with other people's kids. And, man, all them other people's kids ain't any good, you know. I mean, we just know that, right? And so they're going to bring back some, some things that are habits that may not necessarily be what we practice in our home. But the same is true for us. It's very easy once you get in the habit of listening to certain music or reading certain things on the internet or books or watching certain things or hanging around with certain people in certain places that those effects rub off on you. We live in a dirty world. We live in a sinful, dark world. It doesn't mean that we can't love the people in the world, but it does mean we have to be careful, okay? Because God desires us to be holy. And when we act and live and love the world, live like and love the world, man, we begin to sacrifice little pieces of our holiness. And we've got to be careful. Obviously, Joshua didn't know that these were the Hevites, as was warned in Deuteronomy. Um, and the Gibeonites, the Hivites, did a great job of deception. They pretended like they were from outside of Canaan. It was okay for the, the Lord gave them permission to enter into covenants and, and peace treaties with people from outside of Canaan. And so Joshua really thought what he was doing was just protecting these poor people. But he, he, he failed nonetheless. Um, this is kind of the pivotal passage for me in this, verses 12 through 15. Not the more lies that the Gibeonites say, but look at this. Our bread, when we packed it and left home, it was fresh bread. It was still warm. But look, and they held it out. It's so dry and moldy now. These wineskins were brand new, and now they're cracked. We're trying to tell you that we come from a long way off. These clothes, these sandals, it was all because of the long journey we've been on. Then the men of Israel sampled their provisions. Now, first of all, why are you going to eat dry, moldy bread, all right? Like, oh, let's see if that's really true, you know, and let's put some in our mouth. That was dumb, man. But here's the, here's the biggest part right here. They sampled their provisions, 
But they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. And Joshua made a treaty of peace to let them live. The leaders of the congregation swore an oath to the Lord. It's not included in that. But he sw they swore an oath before the Lord to these people. And, um, you know, I, I don't want you to gloss over that. When the Israelite soldiers accepted that bread and started eating it, that was really... Um, an Eastern practice, an ancient Eastern practice where if someone was surrendering, they would present swords or whatever to the people. And if you took those, it was an acceptance of the terms that you, the conqueror, were receiving what the conquered people were giving. And they just really hastily took this bread from them and they began eating it. It was like, a, uh, at least in the Hivites' minds, it was an acceptance of terms that we accept you. And then that's followed by Joshua promising before the Lord that he wouldn't kill them. And the elders of Israel saying, you know, hey, we accept this. Uh, we're making an oath with you before the Lord. Now, the saddest part about this, it wasn't the trickery. It wasn't that the Israelite soldiers were involved in the decision to make a covenant, nor that Joshua was involved to make this covenant. But the saddest thing of all is that God was not invited or involved in the decision at all. And guys... Um, even though they didn't stop, they didn't seek the counsel of the Lord, they didn't pray, they didn't search out God's wisdom or his warnings, they fell into this trap, <clears throat> which we're very liable to do all the time, believing that our own judgment and our own wisdom is sufficient enough to take care of whatever issue is at hand. Uh, it was an unwitting move, and they did it unwisely, and a lot of times we do the same thing. It brings us to this idea of being face-to-face -face with, how do you make promises? How do you swear oaths? And we don't always think before we vow. How many times do we not seek the face of God before we make an important decision? You know, they say that when you're emotional, that you shouldn't make big decisions. When a major life event has occurred, or you are stressed out, or you're angry, or you've just lost someone or something very important to you, you don't make major life decisions in those moments. And, and, and some of y'all laugh because you've been in that moment where immediately when your loved one dies, I mean, I've been here several times now, and y'all probably have too, immediately when your loved one dies, you have to start making all kinds of life-altering financial decisions. And it's, 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 it's so hard because your emotions are still real and raw, your, your feelings, all of these things are going on, and you've got so badly to stop, even though emotions are real and raw, and seek the Lord. God, what do I do? What I'm fixing to do is going to affect me financially for the rest of my life. It's going to affect my family for the rest of their life. And that's just one instance. Think how many times... You make a decision that has ripple effects that will affect the rest of your life. And if you don't seek the Lord before those, how is the Lord going to bless those? And so we see this. We know that this is important. It's not new to us. Um, we don't want to make what was called here a rash vow. And we want to listen to the right voices, not our own and not necessarily the council around us, because Joshua and the leaders listened to the wrong voices. They listened to the people that were deceiving them rather than from God Almighty. Uh, I want to read one more thing here. Uh, I want to jump. I'm going to jump, so 
whoever's running slides, you're going to have to stick with me here. But this next verse is Joshua 16 through 18. I want to summarize this. Three days had passed, okay, since they'd made this covenant with the Gibeonites. Um, They discovered that they were actually their neighbors, that they were just a little ways away from Gilgal where they were camped. They were furious about this, that they had been deceived. Um, They went to their cities to check out and make sure that this is all legit before they tried to come to some decision. And the people were very mad, the people of Israel. You can obviously understand that. Um, The whole congregation grumbled and complained against their own elders and leaders, okay? So that's a summation of those next couple of verses. But we, we consider a few things, okay? And we consider the promises. You think God is a covenantal God. I mean, there was the Adamic covenant, the covenant with Adam that he made. There was the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. There were all kinds of covenants that God made. And he perpetually renewed those with his people. And with us, we have the Christian covenant of salvation, of redemption, that God has promised in Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's his promise to you. If you believe by faith, he'll save your soul. Now, he reminds us and renews that covenant all the time. It's not because he has changed his mind. It's for our sakes that we're to still, as we've called our names by Christ, to live like Christ. Okay, And so this covenant that was in play in Joshua 9 was the reminder that if you make a promise, you keep your promise, even if it hurts you. And I think that that's lost on a lot of society today. A sacrifice hurts. When you make a promise, even if it's to your detriment, your character and your word and your honesty and your honor are more important than the financial or physical loss that you might receive. But we forget that because a lot of times we'll make a promise to someone and, man, I, don't, I just don't feel like getting out today. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like seeing them today. I don't feel like talking to them. I don't, I, my feelings are in the way. And so my feelings are more important than my integrity is basically a lot of times what we say to people. Well, I don't want to do that. We keep our fingers pro- crossed when we're making a promise and we keep it behind our back because we're, we're always looking for a way out of the promises that we've made because they cost us something. And guys, be careful. Because if your word is your bond and you break your bond over and over again, you're labeled as an oath breaker. And if you lose integrity enough that people stop trusting you, eventually you lose your friends. Eventually you lose the trust of your people. I was taught when I was a little bitty kid the story of the boy who cried wolf. Y'all know that story? I'm sure you do. Little boy would always trick the people of the village by crying out, Wolf, wolf, there's a wolf coming. And the people would all go out a day every time he did it, man. And finally, the little boy got out there on the hills, and he thought, man, I'm going to play another trick on him. And he cried out, wolf, wolf, and nobody came. And there really was a wolf. Kind of a brutal end to a practical joke. But I'm going to tell you guys, once you lose people's trust, and nobody believes you anymore, and nobody responds to your requests, you've lost most anything good that you have. It was Sir Walter Scott who... who penned this old idiom, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to 
deceive. I remember my pastor, Sid Ree, saying that one day, and I was like, man, that was pretty poetic. And I've remembered that all my life, my adult life. When you're spinning webs of lies, you think about it, and you're lying to this person, and you're cheating and swindling this person, and you bring a, a, a piece of the web over here, and you, you just keep on playing that game. Eventually, no matter how good you are, you're going to get tangled up in the web, and you're going to be pretty helpless. You made, you're sleeping in the bed that you made. That's not for us. I want to jump on to verse 24. I know this one isn't on the screen, but listen to this. What's happened here is Joshua is livid, and you would be too. He's put the treaty of God, he's put God's promises uh, really at stake. The people are mad at him, and Joshua asks the people, why did you lie to us? This is their answer in verse 24. Because it was told to your servants both clearly and certainly that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Man, these are pagan people that know about how awesome God is. And they knew what was coming for them. And so they said, so we feared greatly for our lives because of you. And that's why we deceived you. But now we're in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua did this. And he delivered them from the hands of the Israelites, his own people, and they did not kill the Gibeonites. <laughs> Joshua was true to his word in verse 27, and I know that one's on the screen. That very day, basically a week after this rash covenant had been made, a week later, Joshua says that the Gibeonites would become woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord. Wherever the Lord would choose to build it, and that is what they do to this day. Now, I wish I could go into a teaching lesson about the history of the Gibeonites in the camp of Israel because they caused all kinds of problems, which is what happens when you allow sin into your life and you just let it live there free of charge, and you don't squash it or kill it. But there were all kinds of problems. Instead, Joshua takes this act. He takes the high road because he so valued the promises of God and he knew how serious swearing before God was. You know, today we use God's name as a curse word. There is not a movie PG or above that you don't hear the name of the Lord taken in vain. And it should cause you, to, not anymore, you shouldn't be comfortable with that still. It should still cause you to squirm in your seat. Because that is the name that is above all names, the holiest of names. And so many times people will say, uh, by God, I swear to you, and they'll just say something. And it's just talk. It's just words that are empty. Guys, Joshua understood the God behind the words, the depth of the roots that were buried underneath the promise that he made. And he, said, he told them, he said, I'm not going to kill you. Well, people are going to be mad at me, but he said, I'm not going to kill you. This was the moral dilemma Joshua was faced with. Do I uphold Deuteronomy, where he's told me to wipe them all out? That's a covenant God made with me, and I agreed to it. Or do I break this new covenant that I made and kill all these people? even though I, I, I agreed to that covenant as well. And so he's sitting here, the wheels are turning, what do I do? Man, 
Do I break my covenant with them? I, I'll tell you what, guys. If we were Joshua, a lot of times what happens to us in this world is somebody lies to you, and they come up and they say, hey, listen, I, I replaced your muffler. I put some blinker fluid in. Uh, I, put, uh, I put some uh, oil uh, back in the back end of your tailgate, you know, and you're like, oh, that sounds great, you know. That's going to be $600. You're like, well, you were just supposed to balance the tires, and you said that was going to be $89. And they said, oh, you owe us 600 We did all that work already. And you say, you lied to me. I'm not paying that. I'll take you to court if I have to. And that's us. We want to get out. Now, I'm not saying that that is a fair deal. But I am saying this, that anytime somebody makes a deal with us, a lot of times, if it doesn't benefit us, if it's not right, we want to get out of it. There are unfair deals that we should fight. I'm not saying that. But people's word is the point here, should still be their bond. And Joshua understood how significant vows and promises were in the presence of God. He knew that the whole of our relationship with God was based upon God's covenant promise to us. Do you realize that everything that we claim to be, the one we worship, the one we read about, the one we pray to, how we live, our morals, our ethics, what we do in our lives, is all based upon the covenant promise of God. It's huge, and we can't even begin to put our minds around it. But every time that we sin... Every time we break the law of God, in essence, we're breaking promises about the terms of this covenant relationship we have with God. In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. All of us are covenant breakers. It's because of the covenant breaking that human beings so often are harmed, hurt, misled, trafficked, abused, raped, killed, taken advantage of, cast out. But guys, it's not God's fault. It's ours. That's the effect of sin. And even though Joshua had been put into this terribly compromising situation, he would remain faithful to the word of his promise. He blew it. The elders blew it. They were unwise. They acted without godly discernment. But they're bound I mean, Joshua could have avoided all this at the front end by just going back and, and seeking the scribes and the elders and saying, well, what did God's word say about these people? Shouldn't we send some spies on ahead? We like to do that. Shouldn't we send some spies on ahead to see if they, what they really said was true? Shouldn't we ask God what we're supposed to do? But they didn't do any of that. They just accepted, and now they were bound, and the binding hurts. Joshua's character was revealed in that moment even though it would cost him and his people dearly, he had made a promise with God. Your, your character and my character are revealed in that moment too. If we say we're going to keep a promise, no matter how much it costs them, God's looking for people who will keep the promise. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, Joshua 9 seems like just kind of a, <laughs> a flyover chapter in the Old Testament. But Lord, I pray that some of the lessons that you taught Joshua and the Israelites that day would apply to us as well. God, that we would first consult you for wisdom before we make major decisions. That we would pray 
Lord, that we would pray concerning anything that you desire for us so that we know your will. Before we step forward, before we move forward, before we make uh, hasty vows or rash vows or quick promises, Lord God, that you'd give us wisdom to proceed. Lord, you hold us to our word as part of holiness because you are held to your word. And you're not a liar. You've never broken a promise. You've never fallen short on delivering what you have said you would give. Lord, I pray that in our hearts today, we would consider the covenants and the vows that we've made. Maybe they're marriage vows. And somebody's marriage today is a little rocky. But they made a covenant between one another and you. It's costly to break. Lord, when we fail, and we all admit that we failed, we've failed many times, God. Not a single one of us here or listening hasn't failed you in some great ways and in many small ways we failed. That we would remember that you're still faithful, that you're still working out promises for our good even when we mess up. Even when Israel accepted Gibeon, even though it hurt them and cost them a lot, even though they disobeyed, Lord God, you still blessed Israel. You didn't take away the land from them. You didn't quit giving them victories. You were still faithful. You were still there with them. And Lord, I pray that we remember that. Grace is present. Lord, in the midst of us, when we fail to keep our word, when we break a promise, when we cut short a covenant, when we've lied to save our own hide, when we've done things, Lord God, that prove that our integrity isn't what we thought it was, when we're dishonest and deceptive, Lord God, that you're still faithful we're still called by your name and you can forgive us of anything and you will if we will confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so I pray Lord God that there's not a heap of guilt laid on everybody here this morning but instead I pray that there is a way out there's a mountain of grace that you're willing to take us out of the valley and set us up on that mountaintop and say you failed but I'm good and I love you, and I've got you. Let's try this next time to go my way. Heavenly Father, would you please forgive us and restore us of our sins? Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to confess that they're a covenant breaker, that they're not an oath keeper, that they don't keep their promises, that they're dishonest, that they don't like the person they've become because they're constantly lying and spinning a web of deception. Lord God, that it would be put in our hearts this morning to confess that and to turn, to fall before you and plead grace and mercy and that you'd forgive us and set us right. Lord God, break the prison shackles. Open the prison doors. Free some people today that we would be promise keepers, that we would live in the light of eternity with a deep, deep awareness that what we've promised is our pledge. And I pray, Lord, we are all people of honor and integrity. And if we're not, God, we've got to get that right before you. We ask all of this in the mighty, precious name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said it with me. Amen.